Hello and welcome to the Business of Possibility podcast with Ulster University Business School. I'm Wendy Austin and in these series we've been diving deep into business in Northern Ireland. Now it's no secret that small to medium-sized businesses form the backbone of the Northern Ireland economy with family-run enterprises making up 74% of businesses across the region and contributing significantly to employment opportunities and the welfare of local communities. They've been at the heart of this last difficult year. So how have they fared, adapted, innovated, pivoted, and how are they going to come out of this? Let's find out. Uh, With me today, Ian Smith, lecturer in human resource management at Ulster University Business School. Darren McDowell, who's senior partner at Harbinson Mulholland. And Paul Black, chief executive at family firm Alpha Marketing. It's great to have you all with us today. Um, Now, there's been some kind of disruption, good or bad, for virtually every business this year. The Family Business Survival Survey has been measuring just how it's been hitting this very important group. So Darren, maybe you could tell us a bit about the survey and about some of the key concerns that it showed were facing business owners. Thank you, Wendy. Yes, uh, this survey was conducted by the DCU National Centre for Family Business, along with Ulster University, and also interesting, the University of Central Florida, which is an indication, I think, of the impact that COVID is having. You can have these connections. We've had lots of Zoom calls with 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 Florida, which have been great, Ian, and we really do need to, to visit. <laughs> but to, to this survey, Harms and Holland are, are also actively involved with the Northern Ireland Family Business Forum. And this survey looked at the impact of COVID-19, both from the perspective of the last year, but also to the future and looking at any possible lessons that can be learned from the period that we have have all worked through. So the survey was conducted for family businesses across the island of Ireland. Uh, There were 50 plus CEOs who were surveyed and over 200 of their employees. And to answer your question, Wendy, the concerns that came out of that, I suppose, are unsurprising in some senses in that the key concerns were around loss of revenue and cash flow and what, what that would mean in these uncertain times. But I think the other thing to say is that there were eight core themes extracted from, from the survey, some of which we'll touch upon, I'm sure, looking at things such as um, benevolent leadership, communication and resilience. And all of these, I think, are, are good as we head into this still uncertain time. Yes, there were some really interesting elements, I think, that we, we can, can pull out of it indeed. And Paul, you've been very much at the coal face during all of this. Can you talk us through maybe some of the milestones at that time, right from, from the start? I mean, what did, you, what did you think at the very beginning of this pandemic might happen to your family business? Well, I suppose, Wendy, like, like so many other people in our position, you really didn't know it was like standing on the edge of the precipice and about to, to jump without knowing where the bottom was, quite frankly. Um, quite different, actually, to previous, uh, I would say, traditional recessions, if such a, an expression existed, where you could deal with a downturn in business in a way that you could still communicate and meet with people. This was particularly difficult because really meeting people was com- a complete no-no and um, de- became difficult to communicate as, as effectively as you would need in the predicament we are in. So, yes, I think 
uh, probably all people could remember one of those JFK moments whenever we watched Boris on the, the TV, basically telling everybody to take their stuff and go home. And uh, I'm really unsure as to what was going to happen next. Um, and quite a worrying time because you just had no idea was this going to last, as we thought, two months and we'd all be back again. Um, no one really knew. And it was a case of having made a few preparations in advance of that and moving our teams to work from home. Um, and then you went through a bit of a phase over the next month to six weeks of realising actually I can still communicate with all of my colleagues. Um, the the back, backroom guys here did a fantastic job on the IT side to make sure that everybody was still operational, working from home. So we had still full complement of staff working away. The biggest problem actually for us was that... Um, our clients uh, had also had to do the same thing. And all of a sudden it just pressed a huge pause button on the operations of the business. So that, that was the, the biggest difficulty we faced at that point and, and a really uncertain future for, for the business as a whole. Worrying times, as you say. And Ian, that, that very much came out, I think, in, in the survey, didn't it? I can see you nodding there. I mean, it, it's not just what you do with your own business, but it's all of the people that you work with and your supply chains and so on uh, that, that then feed into that whole problem. Yeah, absolutely, Randy. And as Paul said, uh, it's been a, a, a unique challenge this uh, co that COVID has brought, uh, different than any other recessions. I mean, the survey, unsurprisingly, showed 83% of CEOs reported their business will be neg negatively impacted somehow by COVID. Um, I think, though, to spin it slightly more positively, if I can, you know, family firms and particularly multi-generational family business research shows that they tend to have an advantage in these situations. But the very fact they've existed across generations have shown that they can overcome significant hurdles, both in terms of crisis and more, more planned hurdles as well, changing markets and demands and so on. Paul's absolutely right. Communication is probably one of the biggest um, challenges businesses have had to overcome. But from this, if I can pivot to the study, some family firms in the study reported surviving world wars, uh, recessions, interest rate hikes. And in Northern Ireland, obviously, um, one company reported having survived regular bombings of their premises during the, the, the conflict. And that actually, and the ability to overcome those kind of challenges built resilience into the, the family and the family business. Uh, and it meant that whenever, we face the COVID challenges, family firms tend to be that bit more resilient and able to think more long-term as well. And that's certainly some of the things that came out of the study. Yes, and benevolent leadership now was one of the very first things that, that you mentioned, Darren. Um, and I must say, I thought that that was a, a fascinating nugget, almost right at the core of all of this. Um, I mean, do you think that, that family businesses are are more likely to have that? Um, uh, and to what degree did the, the study show just how important it was? I think, uh, I think you're right, Wendy. I think that's one of the reasons, to my mind, having worked with family businesses over the last 20 or so years in practice, that they're so successful, because there is, and the study commented that there was uh, an engagement with employees beyond the, the job title, if you like, or the job role, there really was commitment and I think benevolent leadership is is one of the things that has employees who bought in and at the same time 
that's really good for, for customers as well, because they know that they're dealing with, with a solid organization with good values and good principles. So I think that's one of the reasons on Ian's point that the family businesses are so successful. Uh, there's a real trust there within the team and, and you, that, that's evident then to the customers. Is that something, Paul, that, that you're aware of? I mean, you know, in other circumstances, it might be if someone said, oh, it's terrific, you know, you're a real star at benevolent leadership, it might be something that would make you blush. But, you know, um, was, it, was it something that was in, in your mind that you wanted to do this right for your employees and, and for your family as well? Well, yeah, I mean, you really have to... I mean, at the core of our business, we across the group employ around 100 people in total. So you can imagine whenever something like this happens that one of your first thoughts is, you know, what happens to the guys that I work with? Um, and some of those, I mean, we have a statistic that over 50% of the people who work with me have been with the company for more than 10 years. So these are like long-term friends. They're not just employees or colleagues you know that it's a lot more than that and you do feel um, a, a real connection with the people that you work with your colleagues that you're used working with day and daily and to all of a sudden you know that seismic moment where you know we had to turn the key in the front door of the building and leave it for really the first time in the history which is 50 our company will be 50 years old next month um, the first time we actually had to do that for any reason in those 50 years. And when you think, as Ian says, some of the, some of the periods that we came through in that time and we didn't ever have to lock the door. So this was a, a completely new moment for us. And I suppose we all went into it as colleagues together uh, and to embrace what we had to do to keep the thing going forward. So... So, yeah, I mean, you're always mindful of, of the impact that it has on everybody. And, and at that time, I suppose we're a little bit more aware today than we were back then. But the whole COVID thing was really such an unknown quantity. You're frightened to come into contact with people. You know, it's, you know, I think we've become a bit more accustomed over the last 12 months to where we are with it. But it was a case of just getting everybody home are they able to work from home you know, relatively similarly to how they would work in the office and then let them get on with it? And, key, and, and the key thing for us was having regular update teams chats with departments and colleagues. So every week there would have been timetabled uh, what we would have called even welfare catch-ups. Uh, just to make sure that everybody was okay, because this was just unknown uncharted waters that we were starting to run through. That's very interesting that you say that because um, communication uh, is one of the elements that very much came came out of the survey. So let's just take a, a deeper look at that if we could. I mean, how important is it, um, Ian, that, that an organisation is investing in communication and what kind of impact can it have on organisational culture and indeed the long-term success of a business? 
Yeah, um, one of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the big findings from the survey, and again, unsurprisingly, just demonstrated how important uh, clear and effective communication uh, is for firms, particularly family firms too, uh, Wendy, because of the unique nature of how family firms often communicate, making sure they get that right. And look, Paul, know better than than I do, just how how difficult the, the trade-offs with communication are, particularly when, uh, as we've discussed, all of a sudden you can't see people face to face. Um, I think from the employee perspective, um, uh, clarity uh, and candor over charisma is shown to be so uh, important, uh, you know, in that I think quite often leaders um, can try and maybe grab for, um, a nice soundbite or, or, or some grand communication gesture, but just as Paul's demonstrated, clear, consistent communication, um, not overwhelming people with information, because I think early on in the lockdown, um, there was a temptation to uh, over-communicate somehow, and we can understand that inclination, but give people the information they need when they need it and clear and simple and frequent communication uh, is really important because when, particularly in the early stages of the crisis, people had a limit, the amount of information they could absorb. Um, the focus on safety and health was really, really important in the early days and then start to plan out and communicate over the, the, long, the longer term. And communication can be really important to develop resilience throughout this as, as well. Um, from the health crisis as well as the economic crisis, emphasizing the positivity where you find it too um, was shown through the survey to be vitally important as well. And it's interesting that uh, Paul referred to a lot of the communication with, uh, with the people that he works with, which I thought was an interesting description as well, rather than that they worked for him. But the, the welfare aspect of it was, was, as you've both said, crucial and um, the fact, Darren, that so many calls at that stage started off with, how are you? Which is absolutely not the way that most meetings would have started off uh, before we all found ourselves sitting in the box room. Yeah, and I, I think, Wendy, um, I mean, I was just thinking as Paul was speaking there and we were talking about benevolent leadership. I mean, there's a man who was in the thick of it, you know, and you can read all the business books you want and talk about all these, you know, in inspirational quotes, but at the end of the day, it's about talking to the people that you're working with and as Ian said, being straight with them, because there was very limited information out there about where things were going to go. But the survey very strongly came across the importance of communicating, communicating honestly. And, and I think you know, Paul, Paul, for me, just summarizes that because he was there and that's what happened. One of the interesting things in the survey was that there was a, a 10 point margin on a difference between employees who were concerned about the future of the business and the future of the company compared to the CEOs which just hammers home the importance of communication and those in senior roles being as clear as they can about the future. But it also shows you the confidence that leaders like Paul have in the future of those businesses. I wonder yeah. too, this is, this is a cheeky question, but um, you know, we're all sitting here looking at each other quite, quite close on some kind of uh, uh, electronic device. Um, when I was doing Good Morning Ulster for all those years, we used to watch breakfast television with the sound off obviously um and the body language was fascinating you know you could you could tell quite clearly who was and wasn't chancing it on so you when you're talking to one of the people that you work with Paul and you're in their house and they're in yours is there 
are you a bit more out there? You know, <laughs> uh, do, do you feel that you you need to really connect more and be really honest with them? Well, I think you, you have to be honest with them full stop. Uh, and that goes for day one or day 365, the whole way through that process, because it's a moving feast the whole time. And we did have, you know, if I think back to the um, early days, as, as we all describe it in the first lockdown, I've lost count of which one we're in at the moment. But um, in the first lockdown, there was the there was periods of each day where it would be good times to have teams calls with colleagues. And you tried to avoid mid-afternoon onwards because you were vying with the regular briefings that always seemed to take place about five o'clock, which then preceded the rush to the barbecue, <laughs> 5.30 to 5.45. So what we tried to do was to get as many of the meetings during the morning um, and, and remembering that this wasn't carry on as normal, uh, albeit that we tried to affect it that way, that it was carry on as normal, but really why we were having the chats with people and our colleagues and, and suppliers and clients, and you're trying to do that the whole way through, that really you were always focused on when would the return happen. And that then gradually kept sliding the whole way along the path. And, and became, that became quite the, the more difficult part was as time went on and people realized, hold on a second, this isn't going to be in eight weeks. It's not even going to be in 12 weeks. And here we are 52 weeks later. And albeit that, you know, fantastic, the vaccination program and, you know, giving people a lot of confidence. And, and you know, I think we're closer to the end than we are to the start now, which, which is fantastic. But um that that was difficult and i suppose in itself brought about the in mid-may last year whenever we decided that we would reopen our building again but restrict access for numbers of people but we wanted to we wanted to have our base open um for our staff even to know if they weren't returning to work for another two months mentally it was important for them to know that the mothership if you like was open and there were people here and there were people here integrating in meetings with them in their homes um, and and my view on it was just and i suppose to go back to your original point on that wendy is that it didn't really matter if somebody was sitting at the kitchen table or in the box room or if the wi-fi worked to an outside table and chairs um, for me just even catching up with everybody and making sure that everybody was okay and they were getting through it. The work at that time, I wouldn't necessarily say was secondary, but you know, it did have that feel about it. And it was more important just to make sure that the whole team were okay because furlough had kicked in. Um, there was all of that. And, and everybody was juggling all these new terms that nobody had ever heard of before. It was like a completely new world that had just been dumped on top of everybody. And, and, and it was just a case of trying to carry on. I mean, it has been a huge challenge to leaders of, of all kinds of businesses, Ian, and maybe particularly family businesses, because when it's your own firm, you really care about it. Um, you know, and it, it not only supports you, but it's by definition supports uh, usually members of your family as well. What factors do you think contribute and have contributed to 
company's coping strategy and resilience and uh, ability to respond to change at this time? Yeah, so if I can refer to an academic term in this, there's this idea of familyness, which is the essence of what makes a family business tech which is really the unique bundle of resources that come because of the interaction between the family and family members that are involved in running the firm, family members that are involved in running the firm and the wider employees as well. And I think one of the useful things there, uh, Wendy, is whenever we hit a crisis time, there is a kind of an all hands to the pump mentality, um, both in terms of the business itself, but then a kind of banding together um, to, to get it through, be it in the early stages of the crisis period, and then figuring out, as what Paul was saying, what this new normal will look like. Now, one of the beauties of being a family business in that is you extend a, what's called a stewardship climate. And that goes back to the idea of benevolent leadership, whereby non-family members actually start to identify themselves as being part of the wider family, even though they're not blood or not related. And indeed, even if they don't have an ownership stake in the firm, they see themselves as part of the family unit. And that that kind of bridging element, so pulling in non-family employees um, who then can feel part of the family and become organizational citizens can be a real source of strength uh, to help figure out how to get over the initial hurdles, the initial humps, and indeed the longer term perspective going forward then, I think. Familyness, I, I thought that was a fascinating um, part of, of the survey, actually. And, and one of the interesting uh, subparts, if you like, of that familyness, uh, Darren, was the fact that if you're in the family and you're in the family firm, or if you're married to someone who's in the family firm or whatever, how do you get away from it? Uh, and I thought it was very interesting that that they that it dealt with that about, you know, getting out, okay, doing things as a as an ordinary family as opposed to those who were in in the business. Um, because we do all have to get our heads shard at some stage, don't we? Yes, I think Wendy, the the Northern Ireland Family Business Forum over the years has done a lot of work around looking at kind of. The, 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 the business operating separate to a family constitution. So you've got two very separate things going on there, but perhaps one of the strengths during this lockdown period in particular that came out in the survey is that family, families very often were, were perhaps in bubbles, were able to meet and work through issues where, where others may not have been during this, this crisis. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's partly going back to the strength of family businesses. And even when, they're not family, as Ian's saying. I mean, Paul's statistic of the average uh, uh, tenure of your employees at 10 years plus. You know, that's that's great that, that you've got that loyalty in your team beyond the family. And what about, the, um, Paul, then, the, the people, well, all of the people, I suppose, who work for, with a family business, um, you, re you rely on the firm. I mean, my, both my grandfathers had, had family businesses um, one was a heating, plumbing and electrical engineer, and he referred to his as the firm. And the other uh, was a, a department store, which was just known as the shop. And in both the case, in, in both circumstances, um, their families, that that was their, well, it was you know, their lives, it was their income, it was their retirement, it was all of those things. Now, as it turned out, in both instances, it wasn't their retirement because in both instances, unfortunately, they cease to exist at a point. Um, 
so you have all of that to worry about and the people who are working with you are looking to you as well I mean how do you how did you deal with the the stresses that that put on you and and what kind of advice would you give to to others to deal with it with the, the the mental pressure that there's been over the last 12 months yeah and there certainly has been and I think that mental pressure is not only for people like like me in in my position uh, that pressure's there right through our entire business you know everybody has concerns of their own and they've all bills to pay and it's it's uh, symptomatic actually of the position where we are I think the key for me was regular communication with everybody um keeping those channels open um mobile phones always on talking to people right through the day and uh, just making sure I suppose that we we kept everything all the wheels oiled ready ready to go um I think everybody here now I mean we still I suppose technically it is still a family business because it's a, a second generation after my dad started it back in uh, 72 um but I see the family is now a wider family uh, as Dan and Ian both mentioned and I think they're you know I look at a number of my colleagues who have worked with some of them now up to 30 and 35 years um, that they're effectively like an extended family now and so that that's the way we approach it and each, I always try and instill that we're all in this together this isn't just a case of delegating or talking down or you know getting other people to do things I've, I always work on the basis that you know you only ask people to do what you're able to do yourself and um, try and try and share the experience good or bad if if you're in it with people and you're able to go to to battle alongside somebody I, I think you usually find that everybody understands a lot more and um they can cope with it a little bit better knowing that we're all in this together let's look ahead now and kind of lift lift our eyes to uh, to the horizon which uh, hopefully has a light on it at the end of the tunnel to completely mix my metaphors. But um, it's worth noting that 98.1% of CEOs reported that the pandemic will change their business model going forward. So can a crisis be the best time to create deep change for the future? I mean, I noted that um, some uh, who responded to the survey talked about it being a once in a lifetime opportunity to execute deep change in the organization. Um, is that a good thing, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if there is a positive to take from the pandemic, it's forced a lot of businesses, both family and non, to have a hard look at how they operate from operating costs um, through to their business model and how they do business. And we've seen through this, through the survey and other examples of opportunities that have arisen in it, be it uh, innovation opportunities, pivoting to new markets, and um, perhaps areas of the business that weren't core before actually now becoming core because they might have only been the been the only part of the business allowed to continue to operate as quote unquote normal, um, relatively speaking. Um, so if anything, crisis, because crisis is such an upsetting time 
generally, both in terms of our work patterns and our personal patterns. So whenever we're in a period of crisis, it is an opportunity, not in the short term, but certainly more in the medium term, and then begin to come out of the longer term going, how do we want to um, learn positive lessons from how we've been operating and start to embed those going, going forward? And it can be tricky because, um, as Paul rightly said, so much of the early days was spent uh, all hands to the pump, frontline firefighting, but that we need to make sure that doesn't compromise then the long-term orientation and long-term planning uh, in the in the business. Darren? Yes, I mean, I, I would echo Ian, Ian's comments. It is an opportunity to step back from, from an accounting point of view. It's an opportunity to review things that perhaps weren't profitable and focus on more profitable lines. Uh, and also from our own practices point of view, we have a team of 50 here across a couple of floors in Belfast. And, you know, I stand back and think, what are we going to do about getting more people back in here? And, and I do, I do, just, just to get on a hobby horse of mine, I do see that we would have a much greater return in terms of staff because personal interaction, there, this is no substitute for it, although it's brilliant, it's no substitute for working together face to face. And I'm sure Paul would, would see that in terms of his business sector um, and supplying in, into businesses like ours. Well, that's very much been the case with you, Paul, hasn't it? That um, I mean, tell us a bit about how about how you've been addressing those challenges for your customers. <clears throat> so we, yeah, we we've um, I suppose so we face this like everyone else that it has an impact on how our business operates, and then we've seen it doubly working in the fact that we're supplying companies with their furniture and interior fit outs, um, which then means that you're firsthand having to guide those companies through how they actually bring their people back to work, which is what we're proactively engaged with now heavily, right across the sector, both north and south and across the water. Um, so it is, it is a challenge, I think. I think the difficulty comes for a lot of people when they try to get too many people back all at one time and there's a bit of a culture shock and what we've tried to advise any of the clients that we're working with is to do as we did back last May where literally in May six people came back and occupied certain parts of the building um, we, we introduced a one-way system around our building so people didn't come into face-to-face -face contact and a number of different procedures about areas where people would generally congregate. So as, as time moves on and more and more people are getting vaccinated and, and as I describe, you know, you hear people talking about the post-COVID world and what that'll look like. And I often refer to it as the post-vaccine world because I think that's where the impact's gonna really come home is once we the percentages go really high with everybody vaccinated and there's a degree more control. As Darren says, you know, People, whether they're my colleagues or clients, um, I look at this business and really a lot of the, the really good ideas that we practice come from our teams. They don't come from me. Uh, they come from the people that are working within the business. And they, they come about over conversations, as somebody said, at the water machine, at the, making a cup of coffee, on their way back from the loo, they say, oh, I need to talk to you for five minutes. Those things aren't possible by Teams or Zoom because they're not spontaneous. 
it's the spont spontaneity of someone grabbing somebody for three minutes to say, I need to talk to you about such and such. And that engenders, and it's just the whole buzz, if you like, about people being back. So, we, yeah, we've, we've witnessed that on both fronts, both ourselves, getting our own people back, and also assisting others, how they come back. But come back with confidence and safely is the key to that. And how do you balance, uh, Ian, between the, 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 the aspects of future planning? You have a long-term strategic vision of your business, which um, you know, has, has seemed like it's maybe a long way away over the last few months when it has been a kind of firefighting operation, uh, you're dealing with the day-to-day -day challenges. How, how do you strike that balance? Maybe take the time um, to, to look that bit further ahead. Yeah, it's certainly difficult, um, Wendy, and it's very context dependent as well. You know, we have to recognize some businesses have been given the nature of their business, maybe their um, their, their key and core core businesses in, in the supply chain. They have been quite disrupted, but their, their operating practices have remained relatively normal, perhaps. Uh, and then other businesses have been uh, from top to bottom disrupted. So it's very context dependent. Um, I do think then, um, the quicker you can start to get a handle on, and again, we're still in a very fluid situation as the, the, the healthcare advice evolves, the quicker you can start to get a handle with planning, uh, even in the medium, uh, medium term, if not the longer term, um, that's important too, because you need to get a sense and a handle of where your business is at, come the other side of this. And Paul's absolutely right. I think, um, a post-vaccination world is what we're starting to think about and starting to, to look to. Um, going back to what we said earlier, the communication piece, uh, consult, 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 and then be decisive and be decisive with confidence. Um, it's hard to be confident, if I can say, given uh, sometimes the, the void of information and the lack of clarity from other areas. Uh, but in terms of your, yourself, your own family and your own family firm, um, we need leaders that are decisive and confident with that decisiveness as far as practically possible. Um, and then always be ready to change and adapt given how the situation evolves as well, I think. Uh, and that leadership point's an interesting one too, Darren. Uh, when Paul was saying that his family firm is currently second generation, I know that you deal with, with family firms where there are many more generations than that involved. And um, quite often it can be that those new ideas or um, elements of the, the skill set that's going to be needed in future, but which was less relevant uh, 13 months ago, um, they may well come from, from the next generation, mightn't they? Uh, you know, developing those strategic responses and maybe listening to the younger members of the family. That's right. I, th I think we've seen examples of that in, in our practice here. Perhaps the the, the Embracing technology such as this, which we all would have been reluctant to do 12 months ago, is now second nature. And in, in multi-generational family businesses where there are younger people coming through, they've maybe got an opportunity to really step into their own, depending on the business sector. But uh, so, yes, I, I, I think, you know, that there is perhaps an opportunity in all of this for the younger people coming through with perhaps different ideas. And also, uh, you mentioned it earlier on, the fact, you know, that... that um, different families deal with their family businesses in different ways. They maybe have a constitution or some, some other um, 
thing which guides them through what can be a very tricky time. It's not all happy families around the kitchen table, is it? No, that, that, that's, that's correct. These are incredibly tough times, but I'd, I'd turn that around again and say, look, on, on your question of the longer term strategic planning, a family constitution, the, the very principles and values in which family businesses are founded are a real go-to source, a rock, if you like, on which short and long-term decisions can be taken, particularly when there's limited information. I, I think that kind of bedrock of the family and, and, and some sort of constitution of how they will deal with things really helps. And it's interesting too, um, through these weird months that we've had, the numbers of companies that, that I've been speaking to during that time who have actually been, been hiring people with John Healy on the last podcast, uh, they've taken on 200 people during uh, during the last year, none of whom has ever walked across the doorstep of Allstate. It seems like such a weird concept. Um, I mean, is that something that maybe that you've looked at, Paul? You know, it's not always that the, the necessary skill set is readily available in-house. So, you know, have you been have you been looking beyond the doorstep once you did open that front door, undo the lock and get back in again? Well, I think for us, so the from our my personal experience is that whenever the, the job retention scheme kicked in, um, thankfully, um uh, and we did, we were forced to furlough numbers of people, numbers of members of staff, because there was an immediate downturn. The last thing people wanted to do last March and April was start furnishing their offices whenever they were told they weren't supposed to be there. So that had a, an immediate negative impact on the run of the business. Um, we furloughed a, a, quite a number of people and took advantage of that scheme uh, worked it as best we could um, and then whenever on the 1st of July last year whenever there was a degree more flexibility came into the scheme that allowed you to bring people back for a few days and then furlough for a few days that allowed us to start bringing more of the team back unfortunately now you know we're now back to to full tilt so it, it actually feels as though we have recruited people when in fact we haven't recruited anybody per se but what we've done is we've managed the numbers working through the business um flexibly as the volume of business uh, begins to increase again and i guess we were lucky as well that we because we cover not just northern ireland but republic and scotland and england that there's quite a wide geography and there were a number of contracts in place at the time that we had to deliver through last year that actually, if you like, probably safeguarded the performance of the business through that time. And it meant that we had ongoing revenue generation uh, in that time. Uh, and I think now it's definitely the clamor and, and what I hear 90% of the people that you hear now talking is, you know, they just want to get back. They want degrees of normality, you know, people's well-being and mental well-being, you know, being stuck in the house for long periods of time just you know what i i suppose the one key adjustment for me if i if i look back two years ago and this is a personal reflection for myself i could never have seen a time whenever i would have been comfortable with people working with me working from home i, I just was alien to my thinking um and i think now sitting here today that that's something that's probably going to be pretty much here to stay in some shape or form. Should it even be 
one day a week, two days a week work from home to take pressure off the environment and to give a bit more freedom and flexibility for people to move around. But um, I think there's people just really would like to get back in and amongst their colleagues again. And whilst it may not be directly business related, but people miss that meeting a friend for a cup of coffee around the corner from the office at lunchtime and a catch up. I mean, all, all of that's now gone. And uh, the centre of town is a bit of a ghost town at the minute. So the sooner that people get back, I think the, the well-being aspect is, is going to come really back at full speed. Very much so, yeah. And uh, um, support, information, all of that, I mean, th that's all been crucial through all of this as well. Um, whether it's in the staff that you have, the way that you're running your business or whatever. But what role, Ian, does the university play in ensuring access to that best support and information? Yeah, um, and one of the best pieces of advice we always give is seek help where you need it and don't be afraid to admit the, the, the blind spots that, that you have and particularly um, whenever adapting to and pivoting to a, a new way of working. Um, and the Ulster University and the business school in particular is here to just do that, offer help and support to business, whether on a one-to-one -one ad hoc or more long-term basis. I mean, there are a range of support initiatives available um, through the advice that we give in terms of uh, best practice and research. Um, and I should also uh, highlight the work of the Northern Ireland Family Business Forum. Um, now, our activity in the forum has been curtailed somewhat naturally with the pandemic, but um, the work we do in bringing family firms together and learning lessons from each other, whether it's facing challenges of succession and so on, um, that will that will continue. Um, from the business school itself, the opportunities that things like uh, knowledge transfer partnerships um, offer and innovation vouchers offer to work with uh, experts in particular fields in enabling change and putting plans in place to improve whether it's a business process or a business scalability um, is there right the way through as well to like student placements internships um, and, and then learning and capacity for yourself and your own team um, right throughout the business in terms of more formal uh, training courses and education courses uh, right across the board. So our advice is if there's anything we can help with, uh, we're here and we're ready. And we have had some great stories of um, successful collaborations with businesses throughout uh, the past year. And that will only continue, hopefully. Let's hope so indeed. Let's wrap up on a practical level, if we could. Uh, what investments or actions can firms take now to sustain their business and position it to thrive in a post-pandemic landscape? Darren, what, what would you say to that? I think the first thing I would say, Wendy, is if, if you're running a small business of any um, size or family business, you know, and you're still operating, you've still got your head above water after the last 12 months, you know, step back. It, it is a huge achievement to be to be sitting where you are at this moment in time. So don't, don't overlift that. This is a once in a lifetime situation that we've come through. And what I would say is step back and, and consider what your, as Simon Sinek would have said, said look, what's the why of the business? You know, what, what are your founding values and principles? Because that will help you make decisions in, in the light of very limited information. And the third thing would be just to echo Ian's comments, to reach out to, to your peers and to your networks and to other support that's available to help you take decisions as we head into what is still a very uncertain time. 
Ian, what would uh, your answer to that be or on a practical level, investments or actions that firms can take? Yeah, I think two things. Firstly, picking up from what Paul is saying, learn what's worked for you throughout this and what's brought your people along with you and consolidate that. And then as you return to something approaching uh, a new or different normal, um, build on that and communicate that well. I think the biggest piece of advice I would have is investment should be from a family business perspective. Yes, you spend a lot of time in the family business, for leaders, make sure you're investing in yourself, in yourself and your family, because if you don't have a handle on your own well-being and your family's well-being and um, mental health, then it's going to be really difficult to lead. And let me be clear, we need strong, effective and decisive leaders at the helm of our firms going, going forward, because that's what our that's what our recovery and growth is going to be predicated on. So take time for yourself and make sure whatever you need to do to check in with yourself that you're doing that. There's the order for you, Paul. Take a break. Yep. <laughs> uh, apart from that, though, what uh, what investments or actions, what are, what are you planning to do to make sure that your business uh, sustains and, and is going to thrive in the coming months and years? Well, I think um, for, for us to thrive, we'll rely on a strong client bank um, throughout the country. I think what I would say to anybody, which we're doing ourselves, so it's, you know, again, empathising with others, I would say to people to embrace the change. Don't, don't fight against it because there's no point in pretending that the old ways um, pre the pandemic, uh, you can just flick a switch and it all just goes straight back to that. Um, at, at Alpha 1080, our business, what we do is we, we assist clients to repurpose the space that they have and some of those customers they describe creating destinations for their staff to come back to. And that's very much what I would say to people is like create the environment that your people are going to be comfortable coming back to. They're going to feel safe, welcomed, part of the team, get them involved, you know, explain in advance what you're trying to do. Don't leave it until they're already in and then you're trying to cope with maybe a, a degree of panic people but because people are going to be if they haven't been in work for for months they're going to have a degree of concern what's going to happen when they're all put back in to their desk again so try and manage it effectively bring them back in stages uh, tell people that you're not going to concentrate the numbers as they were before and that way as we get back into the office again all of a sudden it's uh, it's more comfortable for people and I, I'm I'm very confident, like 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 the other guys on the call. Uh, I, I think the future here has got a lot of things going for it. Um, it is going to be different. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It is going to be different, but I think different it can be good. And the one thing that's guaranteed that we know is there's always going to be change. Well, by the sound of things, you've been dealing with it pretty well, Paul, I think, and uh, you're a great example of 
of why family firms do make up the, the backbone uh, of our small and medium enterprises here in Northern Ireland. It's been fascinating talking to all three of you, I must say, um, really, really interesting. Uh, if you've been listening to and watching this podcast and want to know more, it's really worth reading that uh, report, actually. I think it's got some terrific lessons in there, not just for family businesses, but uh, but for many businesses in the, in the way that they carry out their operations. Um, Darren, Ian, Paul, thanks all of you very much for joining me. This has been a Business of Possibility podcast with Ulster University Business School. You can get it where you normally get your podcasts and uh, leave us a rating if you can, that'd be good. And there'll be another one soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.